we all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. And now our featured presentation. How you doing? This is Derek Ferguson. And this is Tom DJ. And once again, we're back with another thrilling episode of Better in the Dark. Is it really thrilling? As thrilling for me. <laughs> okay. Is it thrilling for you? Yeah, a little bit. Although, when we get to that episode that we're going to be recording later today, I don't know about thrilling. Yeah. That's we... 12 hours of my life I gave up for you people. Yeah. This man, <laughs> he has went far beyond the call of duty. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Well, it's going to be probably the next episode after this one is airs. It's now a new quarter, which means it's time for another preview episode where we look at movies that are coming out, this time in the months of August, September, and October of 2007. Yep. And tell you what we think, whether they're going to be worthwhile, whether they're not going to be worth. We're going to tell you if we think, if they're going to bomb or not, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, because I was listening to another podcast called Podcrawls, which is really, really good. These two young kids from Florida are talking about the Fantastic Four movie, which we will discuss in the review episode. They were complaining about how it cost them a grand total of $9 a piece to go to the movies now. Ooh. Folks, in New York City, it's almost $12, isn't it's it? It's almost 12 For me and my wife to go to the movies, because we go down here on Court Street, mm-hmm. the movie theater that we, that we saw to 300 in. 300 in. If we pay full price, and you combine that with the cost of the popcorn and everything, it really is an expensive proposition. It mm-hmm. really is here in New York. And by the way, people, I don't know what their website is because I get them off of podcasts. So after you've done voting for us every month, do a little search for pod crawlers on Podcast Alley and check them out because I really like them. Okay. They're short. They're to the point. They're only half an hour long, so they're an easy listen. You listen to them, I'm sure you're going to enjoy them because they've got a good sense of humor. Something you don't have to commit a whole chunk right, of time exactly. to Right, exactly. Do we want to do our thank yous before we get started? Absolutely. We have to do our thank yous. Who do you want to thank first? One person who we've not mentioned for a while, but who has been really, really instrumental in getting a lot of you guys to come and listen to us is Tim Young. Oh, okay. A British gentleman who runs the Contrast Podcast. He was instrumental in giving me a lot of advice when I was starting a hell when I first started working on the contrast podcast with him mm. I was still doing other people's toys my first brief foray into podcasting he's given me a lot of advice a lot of the hits that we get every day are either from the contrast podcast website which is www.timyoung.co.uk backslash contrast. And you, and you did that from memory. I hope it's right, Tim. <laughs> if not, you just do a, a search. It's either through his website or from websites that are affiliated with him, like we are. People like Phil from Pogo Agogo and Heather from uh, I Am Fuel You Are Fans. All great music blogs. If you're interested in new music, these guys are great. So check all of them out. Uh, we had a couple of good mentions. We had John Drew once again. Oh, yeah, our good buddy John Drew. He never fails to give us you know, a great mention. Thank you. As I've said before, I love the fact that he does those little audio dramas Yeah. in the middle of uh, his show. Did you listen to the latest one where he had the Spider-Man thing? The Mole like, Man thing. Yeah, <laughs> that was narrated by Morgan Freeman, mm-hmm. who played Easy Reader yes. on Electric Company. A lot of people forget he started out there. So check him out at drushi.podomatic.com. Is there anybody else? Didn't we have a couple of members? Oh, gosh, yes, that's right, yeah. folks. As you know, we've been pimping this mailing list, which is, let's see if I can remember this one from memory, Movies.yahoo.com backslash groups backslash better in the dark. Tom, 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 <laughs> anyway, Tom, Tom, Tom. Um, we've gotten a bunch of new members. We've gotten our f- first two international members, one from England, who's a good friend of yours. Yes, Jason Cleaver, who I've actually had the pleasure of meeting in person. He came over to America a few years ago on a visit, mm-hmm. and him and I actually went to the movies. We saw Chicken Run. I would see Chicken Run when he was here. He's a great guy. He's a wonderful writer. We met, that was back when I was into the play-by-email sim. Right. And he and I were in a Star Trek play-by-email sim. We just formed a writing partnership from there and a friendship that's going on till today. So he signed up for the list. And thank you, Jason. And our friend Stacy, who is from Canada. Stacy Dukes, yes. Guys. Please, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please join us on that mailing list. We're trying to make it like a really lively sort of community. We just started a thread on theater memories based on my theory that we remember movies almost as much by the circumstances in which we see them. 
than by the actual movies themselves. I know I do, and this drives my wife Patricia crazy. Mm-hmm. I remember all of the important things that happened in our relationship right. by what movies we saw. Like every time we, I said, "Oh yeah, well I remember that." She said, "Well, why did you?" I said, "Because the week before that mm-hmm. we saw such and such right. a movie." She said, "Is that all?" So I said, "What can I tell you?" Definitely join us on that Yahoo group, and we're trying to make it a little fun thing and just have a little, have a good time. Just relax and check out some of the threads we got going. Yeah, you can always come on in, and if you've got suggestions for things you'd like for us to talk about, discuss, then please feel free to suggest. So, now, is that all out the window? That's all out the window. Our next show that we're going to record, we're going to read our first piece of actual fan mail. Really? Ooh, yeah. Ooh, that ought to be interesting. Although, they're not going to hear that episode till September. If everything's right, you're going to be hearing this the middle of August. Yeah, we're recording this... Uh, uh, in July, the end of July. This is July 25th. We're right. We're actually recording this. After this episode, we've got a super special episode about the Halloween the film. The Halloween films. In anticipation... Twelve hours, people. In my an, life. In anticipation of the Rob Zombie remake right. that's going to be coming out in August. Don't ask me why, but... In Actually, a, I got an answer for that, but we'll get to that in the yeah. actual episode. But that's episode that's going to be coming up where we're going to be talking about the whole complete Halloween thing. And again, Tom is more dedicated to this than I am. I'm going to be honest. He sat down and watched each and every single Halloween movie, folks. He deserves a standing ovation for that. There were some moments where it wasn't pretty. And I'm sitting next to him and he's looking kind of crazed, but that's okay. I got a baseball bat handy, so. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not talking about Halloween right now. No, but we had to get all of that stuff And we also had to mention that that's why we're not going to discuss the Halloween remake in this episode. episode. Which is our traditional quarterly preview episode, where once again I went on RottenTomatoes.com Picked a bunch of films that we're going to riff on, and here we go. We're going to start with the first one, and it's, I'm sure, the one that most people are looking forward to seeing in this period, which is The Bourne Ultimatum, directed by Paul Greengrass, who I think did the previous one. Yes, I think he did. Uh, A lot of the people carrying over from the last film, Matt Damon, of course, Mm -hmm. Julia Stiles, Joan Allen, Joan Allen, yeah, Edgar Ramirez, David Stratham. As always, I'll read the press release. Go right ahead. All he wanted was to disappear. Instead, Jason Bourne is now hunted by the people who made him what he is. Having lost his memory and the one person he loved, he is undeterred by the barrage of bullets and a new generation of highly trained killers. Bourne has only one objective, to go back to the beginning and find out who he is. Now, in the new chapter of this espionage series, Bourne will hunt down his past in order to find a future. He must travel from Moscow, Paris, Madrid, and London to Tangier and New York, as he continues his quest to find the real Jason Bourne. All the while trying to outmaneuver the scores of cops, federal officers, and Interpol agents with him in their crosshairs. Now, the thing I find interesting about this series is as a whole... Your, <laughs> I love that voice right. you did, Inner World. Yes. <laughs> is that your inner world voice? I, I guess so. Okay. Is that basically Matt Damon has the career that Ben Affleck so desperately wants. I know you wanted to get on this subject. Oh, right ahead. man. It just, I just find it so funny that Ben Affleck so wants to be an action hero, and he just throws himself into any old action project, and he fails. Yeah. Although I kind of liked him in Reindeer Games, but that's partially yeah, because Reindeer, of... Yeah, Reindeer Games is good. I think that's more because it's a John Frankenheimer film than anything. But that was because he wasn't really trying to play like an actor. Right. He was just like an everyman caught up in an extraordinary situation, which he's good at playing yeah. that. He tried to play the Jack Ryan role in that right. movie, and that one, that was a complete dud. And in fact, if you remember when we first started talking about the Daredevil movie way back when, I told you that I thought that Matt Damon should have been Daredevil. Ben Affleck didn't make a good Daredevil, but he made a good a Matt Murdock because yes. he looked just like a John Romita Jr. drawing. Right. As for this, The Bourne Ultimatum, this film series actually really took a lot of people by surprise. I think they thought it was good. the first one was going to be a moderate right. success and not the runaway hit that it became. The second movie made even more money. It's also because this is the new James Bond. As a matter of fact, I honestly believe that they probably went back and they retooled the Bond franchise because to of the Bond. Yeah, because yeah. of the. Because if you remember, Bourne about the time that the first Bourne movie came out, we got The World Is Not Enough, wasn't it? That Tomorrow Never. One of those two. One where of those two. Yeah. It was obvious that people didn't know what the hell they were doing with the Bond franchise. This is definitely a seer. Well, they knew what they were doing, but they were just reshuffling around the same elements. Right. The Bond movies became more about, okay, well, who are they going to get next? Right. And actually, to go see... Remember when Tomorrow Never Dies came out, the big deal was not about, it's a new James Bond, it was about, Holly Berry's playing a Bond girl! Not Tomorrow Never no, Dies, sorry. Die, die, die Another Day. day. Yeah, die that was another. the other thing, is that the titles of the Pierce Brosnan films tend to run together. 
Except for the world is not enough. Well, the world is not enough is definitely the most Bondian of the of the four. But we should save this for. We'll save that for the Bond. Our super secret next series that we're planning for after we finish Marvel at the movies sometime right. in October or November. So the Born Ultimate. The Born Ultimate. We pretty much agreed that yes. that one is going to be. It's you know, going to be. Interesting. It's going to go through the roof, which is probably the exception to this period. This is a weird period in film because, as you know, usually September and October is where they dump all the films they don't know what to do with. Either they realize they got a real turkey on their hands, Mm -hmm. or it's just so strange or bizarre or difficult to market, they just throw it out there. And it seems like now August has become that as well. Well, they're clearing the decks, because fall traditionally is when we get back to the quote-unquote serious movies. So they're clearing out all of the stuff that they didn't release during the summertime and getting away set for their more prestigious which brings us to the next steaming turd oh god oh I know you hate this film I saw a commercial for it and I almost put my foot through the TV screen ladies and gentlemen I give you Underdog directed by Frederick Duchau starring Jim Belushi Peter Dinklage Callum Mumson Patrick Warburton and Jason Lee after an accident in the mysterious lab of maniacal scientist Dr. Simon Bar-Sinister Peter Dinklage an ordinary beagle unexpectedly finds himself with unimaginable powers and the ability to speak. Armed with a fetching superhero costume, Underdog, voiced by comedian Jason Lee, vows to protect the beleaguered citizens of Capital City, and in particular one beautiful spaniel named Polly Purebred, voiced by Academy Award nominee Amy Adams. When a sinister plot by Bar Sinister and his overgrown henchman Cad, Patrick Warburton threatens to destroy Capital City. Only Underdog can save the day. Well, he's not saving the box office, that's for he sure. He sure isn't. I don't understand why they're going to bastardize. You got CGI. This is a project that you use it for. Mm-hmm. They could have had CGI because in the original Underdog cartoons, they had humanoid dogs and cats interacting with Well, the other human. major villain was a wolf, Riff Raff. Yeah, Riff Raff was a wolf. He wasn't, in this one, he's a dog. He looks like a pit bull or something yeah. like that in, in the commercials. But, okay, Simon Bar Sinister and Cad, they were human. So the choice that they got for them, Peter Dinklage and Patrick Warburton, I have no problem with. I mean, this is not a terrible cast no, by any no. means. You know what I think, though, the reason why they went with redesigning the entire franchise and yeah. just calling it Underdog? What would have to have hap- happened was that you had Underdog in his world and our world, and he would have had to cross over in some way. Right. And you had both Rocky and Bullwinkle, and more importantly, you had Fat Albert okay. with the same plot. And what's the one thing that unites those two films, Mm -hmm. they sucked at the box office. Because you know what? This is what they did. They didn't take a cue from a movie that got it right. Right. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Mm -hmm. Did they ever give an explanation for it? No, it was just postulated this is a world where where tunes and humans Mm -hmm. coexist. Okay, in Underdog, you just have a world where talking dogs and cats exist with people, and that's it. And to a lesser extent, the TV show, I don't know if you ever saw it, Great the Money, also did that thing where it's just like, look, there are puppets walking around. Exactly. They are a separate species, but they're recognized as citizens. Why do we have to explain what we don't? So they could have had a CGI. But we're shoot. not talking about you and me. We're talking about the execs at Disney. Yeah. They probably saw Rocky and Bullwinkle and Fat Albert, and then they got all scared and said, well, let's just do it this way. This way we don't have to. Also, I think they figure they're kind of hoping on the cute factor with the dogs. Yeah. You know, they're going to get into kids, and they're going to sell toys, mm-hmm. which is basically... What they want to do. Let's oh, go okay. On, let's go on to something more. I'm glad the Transformers fans got the movie that they deserve right. and that they wanted. Right. Uh, why can't I get the underdog movie that I, I deserve? <laughs> well, hopefully we'll be getting the Speed Racer movie we deserve next year. Yes, there is a God. Thank you. Okay, well, here's something you might enjoy talking about. Probably the other major genre release of the month of August, which is Stardust. Oh, yeah, Stardust. Directed by Matthew Vaughn. Once again, great little cast here. Yeah. Charlie Cox, Claire Danes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Robert De Niro, Sienna Miller. Here's the press release. From the imaginations of best-selling author Neil Gaiman and director Matthew Vaughn comes Stardust, this summer's one totally original fantasy epic. Boy, arrogant much? That is destined to enchant and excite audiences of all ages. Stardust begins in the sleepy English town of Wall, so named for the cobblestone wall that has for hundreds of years kept the village safely apart from the strange supernatural realm that lies just on the other side. It is here that young Tristan Thorne, Carly Cox, makes a wild-eyed promise to the prettiest girl in the village, Sienna Miller, whose heart he hopes to win, that he will bring her back a fallen star. To make good on his promise, Tristan will have to cross the Forbidden Wall and enter a mysterious kingdom lit by unending magic and unfolding legends of which he will quickly become a part. 
And it goes on and on for like three or four paragraphs, and I'm not going to go on with this. We also got Ricky Gervais in the yeah. cast as well. Great cast. Yeah, Peter O'Toole is in this as mm-hmm. well. Isn't he about 100 years old? He right is. <laughs> Peter O'Toole is one of those actors that no matter how shitty the movie is, he's, I know I'm going to enjoy him. He's worth watching. So what do you think about this one? And I'm not a fantasy guy, as you know. Yeah. But based on the pedigree of the cast and the source material, and the thing I like about Gaiman's work is that even though he writes fairy tales, he doesn't write fairy tales for little people. He writes fairy tales for everybody. Yeah. There's always something that I can take away from it. Right. So I'm probably going to give this a try if I get a chance. I don't know if I'm going to go out of my way and see the first day it opens, but if it sticks around a little bit, I will eventually get to see it in the theaters. I sort of come to attraction for it last time Patricia and I went to the movies. Mm-hmm. I'm fairly intrigued. Although I have to wonder which Robert De Niro is showing up. The really good Robert De Niro, who's one of the greatest actors of our age, or goofy self-parody Robert De Niro? That would be interesting to see. I'm glad to see him branching out and doing other things, though. Yeah. Because he's getting toward the age where he's got to start doing something else and not just playing gangsters and right. stuff like that. And since it looks like Martin Scorsese has made Leonardo DiCaprio his new... Right, you know, he's the new anointing one. Yeah, his new leading man. Rob De Niro's got to find something else to do. Yeah, this is interesting enough to go see. I know that the first movie based on his work wasn't Mirror Mask based on... Yes, uh, Mirror Mask was actually its original film that he helped conceive that was directed by Dave McKean, who was the person who collaborated with him right. on yeah. Sammy. Uh, Dave McKean was the gentleman who did all the covers for Sammy. Those very distinctive, very yeah, unique very covers. Unique covers. Now, I know that the movie was very visually striking, but it wasn't received too well. Mm. This will get the people that went to see The Lord of the Rings. It's and also going to get, let's face it, Gaiman is one of those very few writers who have a serious cult. Exactly. And yeah. all the... Sandman people are going to see this regardless. Yeah, they're going to go see just on the strength of his name, which is a good thing. I'm like you. I'm not going to run out and go see it, but go by the movie theaters and we're in the mood and there's nothing else. You know what else I want to talk about, though, before we move on? Sure. Claire Danes. Remember when Claire Danes was considered the center of the universe? Oh, sure, yeah. Once again, this is a woman who is a really good actress, but there was a point where everybody was saying that the sun set on her. The next Vanessa Ray. Yeah. She's been gone for a while. I don't think she's been in much of anything in the last couple of years. I could be wrong, though. Uh-huh. And I'm sure people will let us know if I am wrong. I have no doubt. But it's kind of nice to see, you know, to see her in a movie again. A lot of these people, they take time off. Yeah. I mean, whether we realize it or not, this is a very stressful business. Right. Acting. Some people, they take a sabbatical. Right. Some people, they go back to acting school or they go to the theater for a while. Right. For whatever reason. But it's good to see her come back. Like and she. another one who's been away for a while is Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, yeah. I mean, she looks pretty good. For a while there, she was... She was definitely the Michael Caine winner for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, Michael Caine, right. For those of you who wonder well, what we were talking about, there was a period of time when, uh-huh. when Michael Caine would appear in anything. Yeah, if, he wouldn't turn down anything. Or we had the thing a couple of years back where we had the June Law Film Festival yeah. for like a whole year. Like every month it was a and new of course, June Law And of course, the Ben Stiller Film Festival the oh, year before that. Yeah, so she was like the same thing. Every three months there was a new Michelle Pfeiffer movie coming out. But it's good to see her back, too. I think this is going to be an interesting... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this movie plays out. And you know, I, it's funny because it's like, as much as I like Ricky Gervais as a television actor, I'm sure you've seen extras at this point. No. You've got to see it. Particularly because you're people like us who love movies. Uh-huh. It's hilarious because it's basically Gervais. He starts out the series. there has been two seasons so far. Has a, a day player. Okay. And his dream is to make a sitcom based on the life of his father. And it has with The Office, it's the humor of humiliation. Okay. That's one of the thing I love about Gervais, is that he gives great humiliation, better than any actor. <laughs> you know? <laughs> there is a scene in the second season where he ends up in a private party with uh, David Bowie. Oh, okay. Who said, I'm going to write a song about you. It turns out to be like this humility song about the fat little man with the sad smile. <laughs> and he, just watching him, trying to sink into himself. Uh-huh. It's just hilarious. I've never seen him on the big screen, really. So I think this is going to be interesting as well. To see if he can make the translation from the mm-hmm. small screen to the big screen. But he's got his own little cult following, yeah. too. So oh, I he is. No he's doubt. a very good actor. Yeah, I have, so I have no doubt that he'll be all right. Now, speaking of really well-preserved actresses, although this one is in a very bad film, it looks like, we come to The Evasion, directed by... Oliver Hirschbiegel, who probably should have been directing Underdog. Yeah, right? <laughs> Starring the former Miss Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Yeah. 
the lovely, the luscious Australian cutie Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. And James Bond. <laughs> Dan- Daniel, Daniel Craig. Uh, Jeremy Northam, Jackson Bond, and Roger Reese. This was originally entitled The Visiting, and it's... I'm not even going to... This is the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, people. Yeah, this is yet another remake of Invasion of the this Body Snatchers. This is the Snatchers. third time in 30 years? Or 35 years? Four, isn't it? They um, made one version with Jennifer Tilly. There was the Don Siegel or version. Or was it Meg Tilly? Meg Tilly. Okay. Yeah, Don Siegel directed Don Siegel directed the first one. Phil Kaufman directed the one right. in the seventh. The one with Donald the, Sutherland and Brooke Adams. And Leonard Nimoy. Right. Which, that's the one you're thinking of. Phil Kaufman directed That was during the late 70s. Then in the, I think it was the... Very, very early 90s, we had the Abel Ferrara version, right. that which was the one you're thinking of with, with uh, Meg Tilly, Tilly yeah. which was sit on the Army base. Right. Now we have Nicole Kidman and James Bond. I saw the trailer in front of 1408. It looked positively dreadful. Really? On every single point. Really? Part of it, I think, is just that you sit there and you go... Is there anything new that could be brought to this story well, yeah, at this I mean, point? Exactly. Because also on top of that, you've had Invasion, the ABC TV show, which might as well have been called Invasion, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You had First Wave, yeah, which was also the same story. We've seen this story so many times, over, over and, and over and over, over again. again. Is there anything new that can be done with it? Me, I don't think so. You got to give properties like this time to be forgotten right. by the public, so that when you want to do the remake, at least they'll say, well. Maybe let me give it a chance because it's been a while. So, but when you remake it like every three or five years... I'm serious. The trailer just made it look totally uninteresting on every single level. So you figured- The only thing I was saying, because I saw this with my friend Paul the day after my birthday, the only thing I remember saying is turning to him and going like, Man, that Nicole Kidman has aged really, really well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she looks Well, a lot of people will go see it. For the curiosity factor, because a lot more people are familiar with Daniel Craig now, now that he was such a big hit in Casino Royale, so they want to see how he does in a mainstream motion picture. And And acting opposite a woman who doesn't have a forehead 18 stories high. And Nicole Kidman, she's got a huge fan base, so they're going to go see it just because she's in it. This will probably do moderately well. I don't know. I have a feeling this is a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, this sounds like I can wait for the DVD. I really think that... We should not see another Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake for no. a good 20 years a good, Exactly. Point. The only thing I can think that's going to be maybe interesting is because you've noticed that with each of the versions of the Body Snatchers, they've tied it into something that was going on in the world today. The ones that was done by Siegel in the 50s was all about communist, communist paranoia. And, and the Red Scare. And, and the one like. Kaufman did in the 70s was about the self-help. Maybe they are bringing something to for about what's going on today with, with the Bush administration, anti-terrorism. I doubt it because I have a feeling that this was made. You know how like they have these films where they say it's not a science fiction film; it's an action film with science fiction elements to yeah. it. Like the island, they they kept saying, "Oh, it's not a science fiction movie; it's an action movie <laughs> with science." Fiction. No, well, to me, it was neither. It was. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it was because then you're going to get on me about it. Movie right along. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know what you're thinking. Oh, what am I thinking? You're thinking. Oh, for you, it was just a, an excuse to see Scarlett Johansson in a oh, yeah. well, tight well, white. Well, I know that. You go see Scarlett Johansson. If they made a movie with her reading the phone book, you go see mm-hmm. it. Now we move on What's to speaking. Once again, we, we get another one of these interesting actresses who've kind of been away for a while, although okay. she came back earlier this year in Black Snake Moan. The film is called Penelope. The director is Mark Polanski. Stars are Christina Ricci. All right. James McAvoy. One of my favorites, Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara. Reese Witherspoon and Richard E. Grant. A lot of people who've been away for a while. Interesting cast. Tell me what this brief plot summary sounds like, because it sounds very suspiciously like something very familiar. Okay. Christina Ricci stars as Penelope, a young woman aiming to shake off a long-standing family curse and find her true identity in this debut feature from director Mark Polanski. Perils of Penelope, anyone? Perils of Penelope Pitchstop? Yeah. That, and even before that, The Perils of Penelope, the old school movie serial. Yeah, Pearl White. Yeah. Perils of Pauline. That's what it sounds like to me. Really? It sounds like a revisitation of that sort of thing. Granted, it's only a sentence that we got here. Yeah, it's a sentence. It sounds like it could be anything. And I'm looking also at the actors here, Catherine O'Hara, Richard E. Grant, Reese Witherspoon. It sounds like even though they're not letting on that they're maybe they're approaching this as a comedy. Well, these are actors that have primarily been known for their comedy. Right. Reese Witherspoon, she had Legally, Legally Blonde. Blonde movies. Richard E. Grant, he started out as a dramatic right. actor, but more recently he's been known as a comedian. And, and of course, Catherine, Catherine O'Hara. O'Hara. Yeah. 
But she's been making comedy forever. So. Has one of a Second City alum. It just, I don't know. I think that they're trying to hide something here. Yeah, because it's only one set. It doesn't really tell you anything. Oh, well, I'm aiming to shake off a lawn. That could be a lifetime movie in a week. Right. <laughs> Heck, I, I mean. I think it is a lifetime Skinwalkers, which we talked about in the last preview episode, is basically the same thing. Ooh, it's a young person trying to shake off a family curse. Although I don't think that Christina Ricci will turn a uh, werewolf in this one. Because we saw what happened with Cursed. Oh, don't even mention Christina Cursed. Ricci, werewolves, should not yeah, should, ever should meet. never, ever ne- meet We love you, alive. Christina, but never again, okay? Yeah, no, never, no. We don't want you to nah, get all nah, hairy nah, again. Play, no, 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 no. No, no, no. No, nah, nah, don't do that. Now, this next film I bring up, it's not really a genre film. You, I think you'll figure out why I wanted to bring this up. It's called The Last Legion. It's directed by Doug Leffler. It stars Colin Firth, Ben Kingsley, Peter Mullen, Aishwara Rai... And Kevin McKidd. You did that very well. Oh, that's why they pay me. Well, they don't pay me. What am I saying? Set in the Roman Empire on the decline, the last legion follows a brave young warrior who travels to Britain in search of a new world. Colin Firth and Ben Kingsley star. Are we seeing the first of the... That's exactly what I thought. Are we seeing the first of the 300 knockoffs? That's what I'm thinking. Exactly what I'm thinking. So are we? Or is this just something that just happened to be there at the time? Well, given the fact that I think that this was probably a movie that was in production before right. 300. It takes about like a year right. to make a movie, pre-production, the actual filming, the post-production. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen the real 300 knockoffs Although I yet. think that how this film does is going to dictate how many of those knockoffs are Oh yeah, get. oh absolutely. If this one tanks like nobody's business, right. I'm sure all these other things that people have been planning will get quiet again. Yeah. In The Last Legion we go to One Missed Call, directed by Eric Valletti. At this point now, we're into September. We're starting to get the other major trend in this particular quarter, which is, of course, Halloween's coming. So everybody and their uncle's got to put out a horror movie. So now we're getting a horror movie. Okay, directed by Eric Vallette, starring Shannon Sossaman, Edward Burns, Azura Sky, Anna Claudia Talacon, and Ray Wise. Who's the only one out of that list I've ever heard of. Shannon Sossaman <laughs> is a rather attractive dark-haired young actress who has appeared in some of these like teen movies. What are you telling me you don't know who Edward Burns is? Edward Burns? What Edward Burns. Oh, that, that stupid film where he's like, the altar boy who kills the priest. He's been in a number of films. Oh, wait, yeah. The one he's in Hell's Kitchen? Yeah. The gangster movie and yes. his brother is on the run and everything. Okay, yeah. Yes, all right. he's been in a, a lot of Ash movies. Wednesday. Right. Ash Wednesday. Yeah, okay. I've seen that. I okay. Know, I know who he is now. Okay. Based on the Korean original, so this is continuing the whole, the whole trend remake of, of um, Asian horror. The Asian horror movies and then they remake them for American Once again, tell me what this sounds like. What will it sound like when you die? I have no idea. In one missed call, a chain of people receive a terrifying cell phone message of their own final fatal moments. Though the messages can be deleted, their number is up. What? Beth Raymond, Shannon Sossaman, is traumatized when she witnesses the gruesome death of two friends just days apart. Even more disturbing, she knows that both of them had received chilling cell phone messages. Actual recordings of their own house. All right, stop, stop. I've heard enough. Okay. Final destination. I was actually thinking Ring. Oh, yeah, like videotape stuff like that. Exactly. Okay. That's the problem with these things. They all start to sound alike after a while. They get one gimmick, like with the ring, it was the videotape, you put it Mm -hmm. in and you die. With Final Destination is you can't outrun death. Right. Now this is with the cell phone. Only this one doesn't have Tony Todd being a joker in the middle of the film. Okay. Which I liked about Final Destination. Is the Asian horror remake trend running out of steam? I can understand them remaking these movies years and years ago. When we didn't have access to the means that we have right. now. We've got DVD. You can go see the original movie. Why wouldn't you want to go pick up the original movie? I don't know. Me? I'd rather go pick up the original myself. But don't you think that there's still this residual feeling among Hollywood that people won't go and see a foreign film because it's not about them? I think people are just too damn lazy to read subtitles. I'm being very honest with you. And I know that's true because I have friends that I've said, oh, yeah, well, you know, we'll right. watch this movie. And as soon as I put it on, and so I don't want to, well, why not? Well, I don't want to read it. And people well, have. Well, that might also be an extension of the feeling, unfortunately, that's all too prevalent in America, that people just don't want to read, period. People have this thing. They go to a movie. They don't go to a movie to read. They want right. to watch it. If they go see a foreign movie, they want it dubbed. Which never works. Being a film fan the way that I am, I'd rather have the subtitle. Right. And hear the original voices. Mm-hmm. But then again, that's me. There are the rare occasions when the dub works. And I'm going to cite 
something that we, you and I have discussed positively in the past on this show, which is Cowboy Bebop. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've seen it both in dubbed and non-dubbed versions, mm-hmm. and they're both equally valid. Because I think, first off, it's obvious that the voice talent really gave their all. And secondly, because it's a show about people who you pretty much assume are English speakers. Right. So it makes more sense to have them talking in English. And then also, you have the thing, because Asian horror movies tend to be a little bit more over the top, Mm -hmm. and they're way more graphic than American, and you know that they kind of shy away from that. American, oh yeah, well, you know, we have to tone this down because it's too violent. Because I've seen plenty of Asian movies, and then I watch the American version, and they just don't translate well. I don't know, it's just me. Maybe this is a, a source of another episode somewhere down the line, but I think it's also because each culture has its own different way of approaching things. Right. Like violence and like sex. Okay. So like for example in Asian cultures it's okay to be very violent particularly like stuff like the, the historical samurai films. Yeah. But you're not allowed to show genitalia. To the point where when you have a nude scene the, the actress is supposed to wear like a flesh colored piece. Okay. And I think that some of these people just think that the different obsessions that these Asian horror films bring are so alien that they have to Americanize Yeah, it. they have to write. I don't know. Now, they, now, granted, every once in a while it works. The first Ring film, Gore Verbinski Ring remake, it was a different animal uh-huh. with many of the same elements, but it worked just as well as the original. Okay. But then on the other and hand... wasn't there a guy that he actually did the American version of his own movie? What's the his name? The one that Sarah Can- Michelle Gellar was in? Yes, was The Grudge. The, yeah, he actually remade And his own actually, movie. the guy who made the first Ring film agreed to come and do the second Ring film in America. Okay. Yeah, there is that kind of back and forth. But on the other hand, you get something like, and you know how much I hate this film, Pulse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> Oh my god, and I hate that movie so much. We, and now we are going to... No, 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 I'm not going to go into that. I we're going to give Tom five No, no, minutes. no, we're not going to. Not, I can't think about it. All I can tell you is what I told you after I came out of that film. If I ever say to you I'm going to see a movie in the theaters because I find the lead actress unbearably hot like I do with Kristen Bell, okay. you have the right to hit me. Oh, booyah. God, I hate that. I hated that film. Let's move on before... You're turning red. Let's go ahead. Okay. Where's my my bat? (laughs) Okay, we got yet another film that might not be counted as a genre film, but one of the people involved is very genre-related. This is Death Sentence. The director is Mr. James Wan. Okay. Of Saw and Dead Silence fame. It stars Kevin Bacon, Kelly Preston, and John Goodman. There was no plot info given on RottenTomatoes.com, but Wan gave a interview view to support Dead Silence where he talked a bit about it. It's a supposedly a thriller revenge story and the villain is going to be played by John Goodman. Which in itself is extremely interesting. And you and I have seen John Goodman has a creepy type before. We've seen Barton Bar- Fink. Barton Fink, most notably. And he also played the sort of bad guy in another Cohen movie, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Right. Yeah. But this one, if he's going to play an out-and-out villain... This could be interesting seeing just for that alone. God knows you're not going to go see it because, oh, Kevin Bacon started it. Let me go see it. Again. However, remember, Kevin Bacon did star in one of our favorite ghost That's stories, true. Stir of Echoes. Stir of Echoes, He yeah. is uh, one of these people, because he's become a pop culture joke the last couple of years, mm-hmm. people seem to forget that he is a legitimate actor yeah. with yeah. legitimate chops. I have to admit, I have not seen Dead Silence. But as much as we like him and as right. much as a lot of people like him, let's face it, a lot of people don't say, oh, well, it's Kevin, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon, gotta go see you it. Gotta go see it. I don't don't know how good Juan is as a director separate from his writing slash directing partner for the Saw films, Lee Wommel. Mm-hmm. This film, once again, you got a good cast right? from what little we've seen. The question is, how good is Juan going to be as a director? You know what this smells like to me? This, this has probably been a pet project he's had for a while. Right. So he took the clout he got from the Saw movies and said, okay, well, finance. Well, he's been very movie. clear about the fact in, in that interview that I read. He wanted to establish that he could direct something other than this brutal horror that was sore, which is right. why Dead Silence is a ghost story. This is an action film, basically. It's a, okay. it's a revenge film. I think he's trying to create as large an OVR as possible very quickly so that he will be not pigeonholed as just that torture horror guy. Yeah. Which I give him credit for. 
They always say that the best way to break into Hollywood is to make a genre movie, like horror. They always tell you. get in the door. And you get dentists to invest. The famous story of Sam Raimi, and they tell all the time about the financing for the Evil Dead movie. Mm -hmm. That's who they got, a bunch of dentists. Because apparently dentists like the idea of being in show business because they cause pain you know, to so many people <laughs> all day. They like the idea that they're putting their money into something happy and fun. Yeah. Of course, in this case, they put it into Evil Dead. Yeah. Which has given us joy. It's given me many hours yeah. of pleasure. So what do we got next on our list here? Wrist Cutter, a love story. <laughs> I, hey, I, I'm just reading it as a... Uh, get you. Directed by <laughs> Goran Dusik. You can't make this type of stuff up, folks. Stars Patrick Fugit and, once again, Shannon Saucerman. Oh, she's a busy girl. From the moment Zia, Patrick Fugit, cut his wrists and enters a bizarre afterlife reserved for suicides, this film becomes a strangely uplifting, darkly comic tale about a journey through the hereafter. This is a world where everyone still bears the scars earned from the manner in which they offed, while their everyday reality is a twisted mirror image of our own mortal world. When Zia begins his search for his long-lost love, he encounters a variety of memorable individuals, be it a disillusioned suicide bomber or an angel in disguise. But it is in Eugene, Shea Wiggum, an inscrutable Russian musician, and Mikhail, Shannon Sosserman, an accidental tourist that he finds his closest friend. The trio of lost souls form an uncommon bond as they set out on a journey across the afterlife in search of what they could not find in their previous lives. I don't know. This sounds... It could go one way or the other. It could be either the most self-indulgent bullshit... Or it could be something kind of weird and quirky and maybe a little bit of fun. Movies about suicide is notoriously hard to sell. We do have Heathers. Yeah, okay, but how long ago was that? That was back, that was, that was back about, in the 80s. That's like almost, what, 20, 25 Heck. years ago we're talking that about. That we're talking about before Winona Ryder was legal. There you go. That's back when Christian Slade was Jack Nicholson. Remember when he started out and he was basically mm-hmm. doing Jack Nicholson? Okay, it's just like all the other ones that we've been... Right. This is like a movie that you can't pigeonhole. You can understand why they threw it into September. Yeah, because how do you market something like that? Which is why I guess they have Wrist Cutter, a love story. Right. You know, to kind of mention, it's not just about... Because Wrist Cutter, if it by itself, would have been a really depressing title. Exactly. Who's going to go see a movie called Risk Cutter? But when they say they, they think it's either a horror film or a film about a self-destructive person. Yeah, this is the type of movie that I suspect that either, based on the special effects, because you remember there was a Robin Williams movie yes. a few years ago about the afterlife. I remember this. That wasn't a major hit, but the effects, the what dreams may come, what dreams may come, right? The representation of the afterlife mm-hmm. was so startling, people went to see it just because of that. Although I still think my favorite version of the afterlife is from that old Albert Brooks comedy, Defending Your Life. Right. That was a wonderful movie. Again, this is something that could go either way. It could be a good major hit. It could be a flop. It could turn into one of them cult things where it's a flop in oh, the theater. Oh, it looks like it's definitely destined there. Even before I see it, I can see that it's going to be a Donnie Darko type of thing, where some people are just not going to get it, and some people are going to get it thoroughly and bring it to it to this press as their movie. One more question, though. Yeah. If Shannon Salsaman and Shia LaBeouf appear in a movie together, is that the sign of the end times? Yes. Okay. I will confirm that. We got another person who we talked about earlier coming up in this one, so I guess she's been very busy. Who's the that? Flock is the name of the film. The director is Y. Kang Lau. The stars are Richard Gere, Claire Danes, and in the what the fuck moment for this episode, Avril Lavigne. The singer. The you know, Flock. What is this about? Kill the Sheep? That was last episode. <laughs> Richard Gere and Claire Danes star in The Flock, the first English language film from Infernal Affairs director Y. Kang Lau. As you know, Infernal Affairs became The Departed. The Departed, yeah. Gear and Danes play federal agents hunting down a dangerous sex offender. It's a Silence of the Lambs ripoff, is what I get there. Maybe it's just because I look at Claire Danes and I think that she was one of the 15 actresses that came out at that time who looked like she idolized Jodie Foster. This is my take on it. You got this guy, this Infernal Affairs director, Y. Yeah. Kung Lao. And I assume he's, what, Japanese, Korean, or whatever? He's, he's okay. from Hong Kong. Now, you remember what happened to the last guy that they brought over? Several last guy, Ringo Lam. John Woo, whose right. talent is completely destroyed by Hollywood. Which is funny, because this week, you know what just came out on DVD? What? A special two-disc limited edition of Hard Boy. Hard Boy? Get out of here. A serious as cancer. Get out of town. I gotta get it. Folks, if you have not seen Hard Boiled, get it. Trust me on this one. Hard Boiled is like all three Die Hard movies in one. To be fair, I I rewatched it earlier this week. Uh Die Hard is nothing to sneeze at. 
No, it's not. But I'm just saying, Hard Boiled is like nothing you... If you want to see action, that's the movie to see. That's like the best action movie I've ever seen. And it, for those of you who have seen John Woo in recent films and wonder... What the hell do these people see in this exactly, guy? Exactly, exactly. Watch this movie. That whole final sequence in the hospital. 40 minutes. 40 minutes. He's got a gun in one hand, a baby in the other. The baby's peeing down his front. And he's basically in a running gun battle. Through the hospital. Through the him, hospital. Him and his partner. They got to get from the top of the hospital to the bottom of the... But they're going through the... And it's an army of bad guys trying to kill him. Whatever happened to John Moore? What? He came, what to, he came, to, he came to Hollywood. I'm trying to figure out what was it in the water that causes this amazing talent to just die on us like this. So what I watched the other night, and I was just sitting there shaking my head. I was watching Broken Arrow. Oh. Now, okay, wait a minute. Hold on. Now, if any other director had made it, it would have been a good, respectable action uh-huh. movie. But this is John Woo we're talking about. The so man Paul, who did Bullet in the Head. Bullet in the Head. The right. Killer. The Killer. Broken Arrow. If anybody else had made that, if Alan Smithy had made that, I would have looked at it. Okay, that's a nifty little action. Broken Arrow, it seemed like to me, it was like the Bruckheimer organization trying at gunpoint, no pun intended, to force John Woo into Michael Bay's mold. Right. Because it's loud, and it's noisy, and it's empty, and it's overacted, and there's just nothing worthwhile in it. Not even John Travolta playing the bad yeah. guy, even though he's got some great lines. Oh, no, John like... Travolta accessing his inner fifth grade <laughs> Christmas pageant winner. Uh-huh. Oh, God. But he's got some great lines in there, like, yeah. please don't shoot at the thermonuclear yes. weapon. You know? The thing about well, John Travolta I've always found is that, once again, the girl with the curl, when he's good, he is amazing. Yeah. But when he doesn't have guidance from the director, and he's allowed to just do whatever the hell he wants and goes on his instincts, mm-hmm. goes right into the toilet. He was much better in Face Off. Oh! Which is the most like John Woo's Hong Kong movies right. than anything else he's done in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. If you ask me, he ought to go back. And as a matter of fact, I've heard that he is going to go back to Hong Kong. He a lot of people are, because I mean, it, he wants to go back there. There was that whole period in the middle 90s when, particularly, Jean-Claude Van Damme was hand-picking these guys and dragging them to the States. Yeah. Because it wasn't just John Woo, because you remember... Ringo Lamb. Ringo Lamb. Who did two of Jean-Claude Van Damme right. movies, I'm not mistaken. So, Knock Off with Rob Schneider. Right. And the one where he played double the twins. Team. Uh, double team. I thought he also did double team. The one with him and... The basketball player. The basketball player, yeah. You know, that wasn't half bad, though. It really Even though it was it was a fairly bald-faced rip-off of The Prisoner. Of The Prisoner, yeah. But it was an interesting concept with the island of spies. Yeah. But he was like hand-picking these Hong Kong directors. Because John Woo did Hard Target. He did for, Hard Target. Yeah. Which was an interesting film. It's not a great film or even a good film, but it's an interesting film to watch because it's obvious that it's still very much a Hong Kong movie, even right. though it's Americans. Yeah, but along with Face Off, Hard Target is probably the most like mm-hmm. a John Woo movie right. than anything else. John Claude Van Damme was cherry-picking these guys, yeah. but by the time that he got through with his ideas and suggestions, right. which is what I've heard... You've got all of these great Hong Kong directors, and where are they now? They're not working in Hollywood anymore right. because they give them these shitty scripts, and they're working with these egotistical acts. It's just a shame. It's and there sad. are two more things I want to bring up about the flock. Once I want to get back to Miss Avril Lavigne. Okay. What the hell? I think she's a cute enough person. I actually like her music, but that doesn't mean that she's going to be a good actress in any way, shape, or form. But when have you ever seen any? Name me any singer you can name that didn't want to step in front of the camera at least one time. Kurt Cobain? Oh, now that's just me. <laughs> I don't think Beck exactly wants to become a movie star. I don't know. It just. But the majority of. Singers, okay, admittedly, Avril, The majority of musical okay. artists, sooner or later, they take a turn right. in front of the camera. And then they go back after the disaster of their first film. Well, some of them do, some of them yeah. don't. Look at Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah or Mandy Moore, Mandy who Moore, has, yeah. you know, she's a decent enough singer, but she's shown herself to be an even better actress. Yeah, someone yeah. who's really capable of a lot of range. Mm-hmm. LL Cool J. LL Cool J. Yeah. I guess the thing I got to keep in mind is that she's gone through a lot of changes in the last year or so because mm-hmm. she got married. She spent that whole period where she was hanging out with Paris Hilton for a while. Oh, well. I have a feeling that just this could be a disaster in the making. We could be witnessing another great Asian director being eviscerated. Yeah. And speaking of things being eviscerated, we're now definitely into the October territory because now we have Resident Evil Extinction. Now, what does the name Russell Mulcahy say to you? Highlander. Highlander? 
Razorback. Oh, yeah. Predator 2. Okay. This is not a director who's just somebody off the street. No, this is... This a, is a guy with this, chops. This is a guy deserving respect. Resident Evil Extinction. Stars, of course, Mila Jovovich, because what would a, any Resident Evil film be without Mila Jovovich in short skirts? Absolutely. Oded Fair, someone who I really, really adore, even though she's in a shitty TV show right now, Ali Larder. Mm-hmm. Mike Epps, Spencer okay. Locke, and speaking of, of actresses who started out as singers, Ashanti. Mm. Exactly, yeah. you're proving my point uh, here. Ashanti. I don't even think she's much of a singer myself, but well, that's neither here nor there. Ashanti wanted so badly to be Aaliyah. Aaliyah, She yeah. wants so badly to be Aaliyah. You got a whole yeah. bunch of these one-name wonders. And there's know? another example of somebody who showed she had range in the brief time she was on screen. Right. Aaliyah in Romeo Must Die. Romeo Must Die, yeah, with Jet Li. Showed a lot of talent. I liked that movie a whole lot. She showed promise in that movie. She showed that at times she could have developed into a pretty good actress. But you got all these one-name wonders that mm-hmm. pop up. And so help me, I can't tell them apart. They all sound the same. They all look the same. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I originally responded to Avril Lavigne, which was being marketed as this Pop-Tart, mm-hmm. along the lines of Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. But she was obviously, unlike that fucking abomination that is Ashley Simpson Ashley Simpson yeah claims oh I'm really a rock chick and then proceeds to do the same old pop songs Mm -hmm. that her sister kind of does okay Avril was legitimately influenced by rock music it was light rock Mm -hmm. but it was definitely rock Uh, Let's get to the press release. The third and final installment of the 100 million Resident Evil hits. Resident Um, Evil... uh, Unless, of course, if it makes 200 million. (laughs) My hope is it hits with a thud. Resident Evil Extinction is, again, based on the wildly popular video game series and picks up where the last film left off. Alice Mila Jovovich, now in hiding in the Nevada desert, once again joins forces with Carlos Oliveira, Oded Fair, and LJ, Mike Epps, along with new survivors Claire, Ali Larder, Kmart... Spencer Locke and Nurse Betty to try to eliminate the deadly virus that threatens to make every human being undead and to seek justice. Since being captured by the Umbrella Corporation, Alice has been subjected to biogenic experimentations and becomes genetically altered with superhuman strength, senses, and dexterity. These skills and more will be needed if anyone is to remain alive. I don't trust any movie where a character is named after a chain of convenience stores. Okay, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, I don't trust it. Have you seen any of these movies at all? I haven't seen any of them. I have not because they just... Maybe this is something we might want to come to at some point. What's that? These video game adaptations. Oh, okay. I've yeah. heard that the first one is really good, the second one sucks rock, and who knows what this third one is going to do. Well, they must be making money because oh, yeah. they would they wouldn't have got to the third one. Obviously, somebody's seeing them. Obviously, it's I just, mean, I just haven't seen it because I don't have the time. I mean, I'm kind of right. curious to pick up the just to see what it's like. Mila Jovovich is now a little cottage industry going of her in short skirts shooting guns, and, and you know she's a he's once again a decent enough actress in for this type of fare. She, she's got a nice little niche. Yeah. this making easy. I don't think the, I would go these, and see her in Macbeth, but these, I would these over the yeah. top action movies. Although. I defy anyone to explain or even vaguely like Ultraviolet, which is a shame because that was directed by the same guy who directed Equilibrium. Equilibrium. I'm glad you talked. I'm going to rent that movie this weekend okay. when I go away because I've been hearing how terrible that movie is from everybody. I'm saying it can't be that bad. You know what the biggest problem with Ultraviolet was? What? It is totally and thoroughly incomprehensible. Right. There is no way you can understand the world, what's going on. It's obviously, they're playing a vampire at some point. The world is just totally inaccessible in every way, shape, and form. I have to see this movie because, okay, Equilibrium, to me, was a masterpiece. The only We've prob- talked about this before. The only problem it did, it was overshadowed by The Matrix. And I tell everybody, Equilibrium was ten times better than The Matrix. Maybe... That's a film that we should consider as, because you know, somewhere down the line we're going to do a DVD-ROM, which will contain some of our earlier episodes, and we're also going to include some extras, and we've decided that one of those extras is going to be a film commentary. Maybe Equilibrium is one of these films we should consider as being the lucky winner. When we say film commentary, it's going to be an actual commentary. You could put on your version right. of it. And put you it on put your it, MP3 player. Yeah. Watch the movie along and listen to us BS about right. it while you're watching it. Resident Evil Extinction? Okay, I don't think I'm going to see this in the movies at all. I think I I resisted the series this long. I don't think there's nothing here, not even Ali Larder in something that's not Heroes. This is one of these things that I'll probably wait for to come out on DVD and just rent all three of them at one shot during the wintertime when it's snowing, throw them on and watch them. Next up, Trick 
er treat. That's oh. right. Trick apostrophe R treat. God. Director Michael Dougherty stars Anna Paquin. Ah, from X Men movies. And uh, the piano. Brian Cox, also from the X Men movies. And always a dependable actor. And the coolest Hannibal Lecter ever. Mm hmm. And another person we really like, Dylan Baker. So far, so good. Nothing is what it seems when a suburban couple learns the dangers of blowing out a jack-o'-lantern before midnight. Four women cross paths with a costume stalker at a local festival. A group of pranksters go too far and discover the horrifying truth buried in local legend. And a cantankerous old Kermit is visited by a strange trick-or-treater with a few bones to pick. Costumes and candies, ghouls and ghosts, monsters and mayhem, the tricks and treats of Halloween turn deadly, as strange creatures of every variety, human and otherwise, try to survive the scariest night of the year. It's a return to the anthology film. I was about to say that. What is this, an anthology? That's what uh, it sounds yeah, like? that's okay. what it looks like. Um, okay, so we're going back to the Tales from mm-hmm. the, the movie version and uh, Tales from uh, the Crypt. Basically the old Amicus films. Yeah. House that Drip Blood. Asylum. From Beyond the Grave. Creep think, Show. We haven't seen it in horror anthology for a long time. Let alone one that's been released to theaters. I think the last yeah. one that was released to theaters was Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood. Which I enjoyed very much. I thought it was hilarious. I got to admit, I have a a fondness for anthology films. I Mm -hmm. really, really enjoy them Mm -hmm. as a whole. Although, as usual, the strength is always based on, one, how well-written the individual stories are, and two, the framing sequence. If you get a crappy framing sequence, forget it. Yeah. Looks like a good cast. I got to admit, even though I have a bad feeling about this on some level, I'm probably going to go see this in the theater. But I might make... Wait to go to like a discount theater or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Or wait for a discount or catch a matinee. Okay, now we get to this is a big one. This one actually is a fairly big film. A lot of people are talking yeah. about this one. Thirty Days of Night, directed by David Slade, starring Melissa George. Before you say you've never heard of her, you have seen her. I have. Where? Dark City. Okay. She is the prostitute that picks up. Oh, all right. The the really really pretty blonde girl. The really- Militia George, Josh Hartnett, Ben Foster, Craig Hall, and Danny Houston. Based on the original graphic novel from Idea Design Workshop, producer Sam Raimi brings the audience a terrifying thrill of 30 Days a Night set in an isolated town of Barrow, Alaska in the extreme northern hemisphere, which is plunged into complete darkness annually for an entire month. When most of the inhabitants head south for the winter, a mysterious group of strangers appear, bloodthirsty vampires ready to take advantage of the uninterrupted darkness to feed on the town's residents. As the night wears on, Barrow's Sheriff Eben, Josh Hartnett, his estranged wife Stella, Melissa George, and an ever-shrinking group of survivors must do anything they can to last until daylight. What do you think? I think, first of all, the central idea is so brilliant that you yeah. wonder why nobody ever thought of this before. Because the Alaskan nights mm-hmm. last for up to a month. Even and we six- probably should not be talking about this film when my mom is going off to a two-week uh, Alaskan vacation <laughs> tomorrow. But you wonder why nobody ever thought of this before. Vampires go up there where yeah. it's night for 30, so they can really have a mm-hmm. lot of fun. Now, this is what I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing. Josh Hartnett. I don't know what to make of him, because sometimes he's unwatchable, and sometimes he's not so bad. He's a funny, he's a Like, okay, like, for example, like, Hollywood Homicide, I just could not stand that film. I hated that movie with a passion. Oh, man, I hated that movie. Squandered the talents of Harrison Ford. And Hartnett is so smug in that film. But then again, as part of the Halloween preparations, I saw H2O again. Okay. And he's playing Jamie Lee Curtis' son in that film. Right. And he's really good in it. Mm-hmm. It's a really good performance, given what little he's given to work with. To work with, yeah. He's very hit and miss with me. Once again, it's a case of which Josh Hartnett's going to show up. <laughs> Melissa George, despite the fact that we have seen her and we both agree she's a rather calmly at last. Mm. To say the least. I don't know. I have no real familiarity with her as an actress. So yeah, that's probably... like the only thing I can remember seeing her in. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing this. I mean, give me... I have a feeling this is going to be a big hit because so, it's too. got that plot that I think was going to just drag people in. It's got that hook. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, because usually in a vampire movie, the good guys, they say, well, all we got to do is wait for daylight. But daylight ain't coming, so what yeah. do you do now? Did you ever see the film Insomnia? Sure. Which has I've... a similar trope in the idea that it... I've seen both the original right. Dutch version and the remake with Al Pacino mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Hilary Williams. Swank and yeah. Robin Williams. Yeah. Right. It's the thing where in that movie they have a detective that goes to an Alaskan town mm-hmm. again to investigate a series of brutal right. murders. In this case, it's in the daylight cycle now. Right. So, and the detective is gradually going a little bit cuckoo because he can't go to sleep. He go to sleep. Well, like, there's that wonderful moment very early on <laughs> where he has Swank bring him to the bedroom of the murder victim. Uh huh. 
And he's looking outside and he's going, okay, we better want to swing by the school right now, see if we can find any of her friends and interview them. And Hillary Swank has to explain to her that it's actually 2 o'clock in the morning. It's at 2 o'clock in the morning. He's like, he said, what? He's screaming, well, how do you people know? He said, hey, you get used to it after a while. He's taping up the windows because he's got to get some sleep already. Established very early on in that film that he's already a little loopy. And this is not helping any. Have you ever seen the original Dutch version? I've not seen the original the Dutch original version. The original Dutch version is even like a couple Isn't of... Isn't that another situation where the same guy did both? Yes, he did. He and did. this one, it looked like it worked as opposed yeah, to that yeah. horrible, horrible vanishing. Regardless. Oh, the vanishing. Oh, we, my God. We won't thing. even go into that one. That was. I could not understand how one guy could direct his own movie and directed so terribly. The American version of Vanishing was a total bastardization. Oh yeah, it becomes an action movie. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the first movie is this scary, spooky, it's very slow paced, very methodical. And that's why it's so freaking scary because you know this is not going to end right for the hero. The hero is not coming out of here with flowers and candy. But then in the American version, all of a sudden, the girlfriend turns into Nancy Drew. Yeah. She puts the clues together. Oh, yeah, together Nancy Travis. Yeah, one of the reasons why I refused to go see the remake of The Hitcher, because they added that extraneous character in there of the girlfriend. Right. Of the main character. And I said, oh, there's no way that's going to work. Nah, nah. It was a terrible movie. In the original Dutch version of Insomnia, Insomnia that we're talking about, there's even some hints in there that even the police detective who's investigating the case, he, at some point, he may have been a murderer himself. Right. And that's why he's got such an insight. It's a really excellent movie. And okay. the remake, it's almost just the one with Al Pacino. Yeah. It's, all, it's almost as good, yeah. Two more. We're down to the final stretch. Our regulated John Cusack movie for the quarter. All right. The Martian Child, directed by Menno Mayes, starring, of course, Joan Cusack, her... <laughs> her Brother John Cusack, Amanda Peet, and Oliver Platt. Oh, okay. They're billing this as a romantic drama, believe it or not. The Martian Child stars John Cusack as a recently widowed science fiction writer who forms an unlikely family with a close friend, played by Amanda Peet, and a young boy he adopts that claims to be from Mars. The new couple ignores some sage parenting advice from the widower's sister, Joan Cusack, and gets more than they bargain for when a series of strange occurrences lead them to believe that the child's claims may be true. It's based on a story by David Gerald, and I will always have time for John Cusack. Cusack. Both John and Joan Cusack. The, the Cus- there was something in the Cusack family water. Yeah. And Oliver Platt, there's another person who I don't think we've seen for a while since that failed TV show he was on. Yeah, the one where he played the newspaper, newspaper editor. editor. Deadline. Deadline, yeah. He's a very nice man. I actually had the pleasure of meeting him in person mm-hmm. and talking to him for about 45 minutes. I was at the New York Auto Show right. a few years ago. Back when... Remember that movie that came out with terrorists that take over the airplane, Steven Seagal? And Kurt Russell. And Oliver Platt was in that movie yes. as well. And I saw him at the auto show. I walked up to him, oh, you're Oliver Platt, how you doing? I just saw your movie. We talked about The Three Musketeers, actually. That movie he was oh. in. We talked about that. Not was, a great film, but it has some great moments. Yeah, exactly. It, it was like the lethal weapon version right. of The Three Musketeers. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a, a forerunner to the that weird subgroup of films we have now where you have these historical dramas, but done in modern in day. Modern, yeah, modern drag. Perhaps yeah. the best example of that is a film that I know both you and I enjoy called A Knight's Tale. Very nice guy, Oliver Platt. Very, very pleasant man. Oh, now, talking to me, running his mouth. And But this one, what do you think? Heartwarming family drama? I don't know what it is, because I'm looking at this, and it's going to, like I said, it's John Cusack. John Cusack is always a sure bet for me. Yeah. I think he's one of my favorite actors. I like Oliver Platt. I like, like John Cusack. Cusack. Yeah. Amanda Pete is the only one on that list. I'm like, uh, I could take or leave her. Eh, she's okay. I'm wondering if they're hiding what this really is. What do you mean? It's based on an actual science fiction. Well, yeah, David Gerald, who's yeah, been around Yeah, a, a legitimate who, science fiction who's writer. Who's been around forever. Are they trying to pass it off as something else because they don't want people to think it's a science fiction film? And also keep in mind, it's in that dead zone. Yeah. It's yeah. in that dead zone, it's which means there's something... Zone, which is following the pattern about all these movies. Uh, it's not one thing, it's, not, it's neither fish nor fowl. How do right. we market this? Should we heartwarming family drama, science fiction? So they said, well, you know what? Drop it in here and let the audience figure right. out what it is. I mean, it's one of these films where it could go either way. It could be just a miserable bomb and appear and disappear in a, like a blip in a space of a week. And, and go to DVD in Or like a month. it could end up being one of these things that catches the public's imagination. This is why scheduling is so important because 
Sometimes a movie will become a hit simply because people want to go out that weekend and see a movie and there's nothing else to see. Ghostwriter. So they say, okay. So they Ghostwriter. Say, well, let's go see that. Right. And sometimes that's how a movie turns right. out to be a hit and then word of mouth starts spreading. It's a very, very funny thing with the scheduling. It's very important. Right. Now, speaking about movies that became big surprise hits, our last film of this evening. I want you to take a deep breath. Okay. I know you're going to go off on a tear. Me? Why am I going to go off on a tear? Oh, I thought that you didn't care very much for these films. The Saw franchise. I don't care very much for it, but I do recognize the fact that yes. it has a large following, and I okay. respect that. It's not my cup of tea. I saw the first... I the most interesting thing about this interview I read with James Wan uh -huh. is how he was trying to distance himself from the torture film. He's like, Saw wasn't a torture film. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. He was insisting that it wasn't a torture film, but it somehow got lumped in with that trend. Tell me how this sounds. Director, unknown. Stars, unknown. Plot, unknown. Juan, in that interview, swore up and down that Jigsaw is dead. Okay. He is definitely dead in this film. Unless, of course, the movie makes $200 million. You know, in the third film, he was training his... His replacement. His, his replacement, Shawnee Smith, who is, I guess, F, as of this film, will be the only person who appeared in all four films. Mm. Is this just them being canny and just playing close to the vest and trying to get people more excited? Or is this the fact that they're kind of embarrassed by what this has become? Well, they want to move on and do other things. They don't want to be known as the, the, saw, guys, guys. As the saw guys for the rest of their career. Well, I know that you read that interview, and Juan is very clear about the fact that he's trying to establish himself as being capable of doing other things. Okay. He wants to be seen as more than just a torture film director. Well, he's got his foot in the door. Yeah. He made his money. So now he's trying. And there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, that's what he's supposed to do. He's not supposed right. to be doing Saw 8, 9, 10, 11. Leave that for the younger guys that are coming up behind him now. Like what John Carpenter right. used to do. He used to find younger directors and say, okay, well, you go ahead and you do Which we'll just be discussing in the Halloween episode. Right. That's what you do. So I, now, so I don't fault him for that. Is this going to be just the latest installment of the Saw juggernaut, or do you think people are finally sick of this? You know how well Hostel No, what that's going to depend on, it's going to depend solely on the opening weekend. Because really, when it comes to movies like this, that's all the studio cares about. Well, like, more, more, more than any yeah. other thing, horror movies, genre movies like this, they count on the opening weekend. Now, it's obvious that this has become sort of a tradition. Okay. New Halloween, new Saw film. Right. We had enough of the torture uh, genre at this point. You know what the gross was for a Hostel 2? Not it did seem to be there and gone very quickly. That's what I was going to say. I noticed that it came and went pretty damn fast. Yeah. As compared to the first one that had a pretty considerable run in the movie theaters. And then, right. of course, had a long life on DVD. Which is but pretty it, funny considering that in the reviews that I've read, more people liked this one than liked the first one. And they hyped it up the wazoo. I mean, yeah. it was well advertised. But yeah, it seemed to come and go pretty quickly. So I am starting to think maybe people are saying, you know, maybe I really don't want to see any more of this. You know, I don't want to see people being tortured. There's something really, really distasteful about those type of movies, which we've well, discussed. We, yeah, and we're going to have, and we, we're going to talk about that in greater detail. Tell when we get one, around in, to in one episode. episode. Yeah, I find that sort of thing. I've got nothing against horror movies, but these type of movies, um, is something very distasteful about it to me. Okay, so that brings us to the end of October. And the end of another preview segment. That's it? No more? That's it. Next one is going to be fairly interesting because it's going to be Oscar season. Oh, yeah. We're going to get a lot of big budget items for Christmas mm -hmm. that are going to be, of course, geared towards getting people Oscar nominations. We have the crap ones, and then we have the, the ones that are going to be full of nice little big blockbuster things. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the big Hollywood releases with the big name stars. The Prestige. Yeah. Yeah, as Not to be confused with The Prestige, which is a good movie. Yeah. On the whole, what's your... Um, sum, summing up these movies as a whole. Summing up these movies. got to admit, there's not a whole lot. Maybe Third Days of Night, probably. Trick or Treat, probably. Martian Child. See, you notice there's a lot of probably in this. There's not nothing that gets me so high. Yeah, there's nothing in there that say, oh, I got, except for 30 Days right. of Night. That's the only thing on there. But there's actually nothing Stardust, on there. Stardust, probably. There's nothing yeah, that Stardust. makes me go in the last preview special where I'm like, Spider-Man 3, gotta see right, that. Right, right. Fantastic Four, gotta see right. that. Right, there's nothing that's getting my heart pounding. There's some things in there that sound interesting. Stardust, like you right. said, 30 Days of Night. But there's nothing in there that's getting my heart pounding. Especially not Underdog. Oh, God, no. Underdog needs to be buried. You know, 
And also the Roman movie. I'm going to be interested in seeing how right. that does. The Last Legion. The Last Legion. So here's, I guess, now we get to the little uh, uh, thing. Do your thing when okay. you wrap up everything. Okay, folks, we invite you to join, as we mentioned at the top of the hour, on our mailing list, which is, let's see if I can do this again, movies.yahoo.com backslash groups backslash better in the dark. Or if you have a comment like the one that we're going to read in the next episode that yeah, we're going to record. Okay. You want to like say something positive, negative, indifferent. You want to send us flowers or pipe bombs or whatever. You can always use the Better in the Dark email, which is officially Better in the Dark. That's Better, the letter N, the Dark, at gmail.com. Please, folks, vote for us every month in Podcast Alley. We'll be forever in your debt. And, hey, while you're at Podcast Alley, like we mentioned before, uh, check out Podcrawlers, because they're really cool. We'll be back in two weeks with the massive Halloween show. Not to be confused with the Halloween. We do have something special planned for the month of October. Yeah, we got a separate episode planned for that where we're going to talk about horror movies that we like. Basically, it's going to be two a month from here on in, although... I think we've agreed that we're going to try to do three a month during the summer months. During the summertime. We're going and to, yeah. we'll do traditionally a, a third one for October, for Halloween. And do we want to do one for December we're, as well? We're probably going to do one for Christmas as well, okay. right? Why not? So I get to talk about Transfers then. Yeah. Which is a Christmas movie, folks. So until next... Until then, I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And we want to remind you, whether you love it, whether you hate it, go see that movie. Night. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Podcrawlers at podcrawlers.podshowcreator.com and the staff of Fangoria Magazine. Better in the Dark would like the person who left the veiny-looking pot in our basement spewing all sorts of viscousy stuff to please take it back. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley and join our film discussion group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash better in the dark. If you like this program, please contribute via our PayPal link on the website. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, please remember that friends don't let Hong Kong directors direct in America.